the name of Jesus, lives are changed. You wanna know about freedom, my friends? <laughs> it's not up to a nation to declare freedom over someone, it is up to a savior to declare freedom over a people in deep need of salvation. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the name above all names, the name that brings us that freedom. Go ahead and have a seat. And I just want to lean into that right now um, a little more before we jump in. How precious is the name of Jesus to you? The things that we celebrate and that are very precious to us, I hate to say it, but they, they're foolishness to the people who do not know the Lord. Stuff that is very precious to our hearts, like the cross of Jesus Christ, the suffering of Jesus Christ, that which we have remembered this morning and spent time because it's precious to our hearts, because it is what purchased our freedom, it is what gave us life, the blood. See, we, the blood of Jesus Christ is precious to us, but that doesn't make any sense to the world. And the things that are precious to those in the world don't make sense to us. Come on. We're in, right in the middle of that right now. I mean, if I were to ask you, what are some of the things that are precious to you? We would all have something that we would just snap off, things like family. Is that precious to you? Yes. How many of you are gonna get together with your family tonight and celebrate? Some of you, how about tomorrow? <laughs> all right, woohoo! Awesome, we're gonna get together, right? I mean, my granddaughter came up this morning and she found me before the service, it's so awesome. She comes in, she goes, she goes, Poppy, I can't wait for tonight because we're gonna get together and cook out tonight and do some fireworks. And I said, hey, Reagan, I said, do you wanna pray for us right now? She goes, what do you want me to pray about? I said, just, just pray that God will give me power as I speak, pray for our team as they lead. And um, she goes, and do you want me to pray that you don't blow your head off tonight? <laughs> Love it. That's right. That's right. Family's precious. It really is. How about life? How about life? I'm having a real hard time. I'm struggling with I'm trying to understand how anybody, anybody could not be on the side of life. That anybody would think that people like us who life is precious to, every life is precious, would, would look at us and think we're strange because we're so pro-life. And yet we look on the other side and say, I can't understand you. There's, there's a great big divide. And it's getting wider as we go. Listen to this. The message of the cross. What did we just sing about all? Thank you, Jesus, <laughs> for the cross. But the message of the cross, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it as the very power of God. So can you see the divide? There are two things happening in our world right now. There are those who are not in Christ, and they think that the people who are in Christ are crazy. That's right. They think we're fools. 
But to us, the things that are precious to us that we hold on to, it's the very power of salvation. And we know that that's exactly what they need. But it makes no sense to them. As the scriptures say, that's, he's referring to Isaiah 29, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. He's getting ready to deal with, he's gonna explain to us how he deals with the people in the world that think they're all that. So where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? Well, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Here's how. Since God, in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Here's the message. What we hold dear and true, because God's word is true, and because we've experienced it in Jesus Christ, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. And so God is going to confound them even further by making sure that they cannot come to Christ in their own wisdom. You understand that, right? No one can come to God on their own. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care what kind of degree you have. I don't care how brilliant you think your mom thinks that you are. You, you cannot make it to God. You'll never reach the place where you can even come close to understanding it. It will always be foolishness to you. And the word says that God made the wisdom of this world look foolish by making it so that they can't know them, him through their own wisdom. As much as they want to try to figure it out, they never will. They need help. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It, our preaching, is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. He says there are two kinds of people out there. There's the religious people, the unrepentant religious people, and there are the non-religious people. And the message of the cross, the message of Jesus is foolishness to both sides. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say that it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. There's a major problem in the world, my friends. And there is a great divide. And I know some of you are like, Can you, are we ever gonna stop talking about this? <laughs> the answer is no. All right. And the reason is because we're in the end times. And the Bible says that that divide is going to get wider and wider and wider as lawlessness and unbelief increases in the world. Satan is at work keeping the eyes and ears and hearts of men and women of this world close to the gospel. He knows they can't come to God unless the Spirit of God opens up their hearts. 
but there's only one way for the Spirit of God to come and open up the hearts of people who need to hear a message like this, and that is if God's people will become the people that he has called them to be, and they will go out and proclaim the gospel fearlessly in the world that thinks they're crazy. That's where we are. But Paul goes right into this. And I, I'm taking a chance of offending all of you today. <laughs> Thank you. Who said that? Thank you, brother. He gave me permission, so here it goes. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, this is 1 Corinthians 1.26, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, don't miss this, okay? God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who, I like to put in here, think they are powerful. God chose things despised by the world things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. I wanna read that again. Let this sink in, and it's mental gymnastics, I know, but go with me on it, okay? God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers something. You get that? This is awesome. In other words, hang on, okay? This is gonna sting a little bit. He has chosen you who are nothing and the world counts you as nothing and he wants to use you to bring to nothing what the world thinks is something but he's going to take you who are nothing, put everything in you so that you can bring to the people who have nothing, everything. everything. And that's what he wants to do through you. So it's okay to be nothing. <laughs> it, it's okay for me to tell you that you're nothing. Because we are nothing. And the world isn't either. They just think they're something. And I'm not saying that to be mean. They're blind. And Satan is blinding their eyes. And he is trying all the more to convince them that they're something. And they're in charge. And they can figure it all out when he knows that they're completely lost and blind and they don't have a clue where they're going. He knows they're just as nothing as we are. Isn't it, isn't it awesome that we have a God who'll tell us the truth about who we are? Yeah. Satan, who is their God, just tells them lies about themselves all the time and teaching them to tell lies to their children and to their children so that they'll believe that they are something when they are nothing. And before we were called, we were nothing. And God delights in that. In fact, I think he takes the, the, the lowest of the nothings and saves us. Anybody want to test? Am I the, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. 
Okay, I know how bad I am. I know how low I am. I know how nothing I am. I was spending time this morning just on the way into church going, God, you have to show up for me today. You have to speak through me because if you don't speak through me, I got nothing to say. I'm preaching about the nothing and the something in the nothing. And you gotta bring the something. Otherwise, I'm wasting everybody's time and we're gonna walk out of here with nothing. (laughs) Nobody wants that, right? Here's the deal, my friends. We just celebrated communion and what we celebrated and what we remembered is Christ, the scripture says, who is everything, okay? He is God, he is everything, but the scripture tells us in Philippians chapter two, that he emptied himself of everything and became nothing so that we who are nothing can have something that we couldn't get on our own, that we didn't have. So here is Christ who is everything, emptying himself of everything and becoming nothing so that we who are nothing can have everything. And then he calls us He comes and visits us with his Holy Spirit and draws our hearts. We repent of our sins. We give ourselves to him. And now he says, good. Now you who are nothing, who have everything that I have given you, now have the power of everything in order to take to those who have nothing the message of everything so that they can have everything too. Because without you being called, without you being surrendered, without you going out there and doing the work of the Lord, they can't hear. Come on, and he has called all of us to that. Yes, sir. All of us nothings to that message of everything. Right. Now, that's where we're going to be the rest of the summer. Are you okay with that? Every week, for the rest of the summer, you're gonna come and hear that you're nothing. (laughs) But that something is in you that is everything. And he's called you to do some amazing things. We're gonna take a look at the extraordinary things in the Bible. People in the Bible who are just regular, ordinary people who because God put his power in them, ended up doing extraordinary things. We're calling the series Extraordinary, and the tagline is the something in the nothing. Because without Christ, we're nothing, and without the something in us, we can't do anything outside of the work of God in our lives. So we're gonna examine that something in the nothing and attempt to see through these lives how God desires to work in and through us, okay? Rest of the summer, so buckle up. We're gonna learn at the feet of some of very ordinary nobodies. And today's message is entitled, The Nobody Who Became World Famous. Now, this message is coming out of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John. The story is coming out of that. Now, if you know things about the Gospels, they're written by four different individuals, apostles of Jesus Christ, disciples of Christ. 
and they're writing about the life of Christ, but they write from different perspectives. And so there might be the same story told in all the gospels, but different details of the story happen. So if you want to get the whole picture, you got to like rifle through all four or, or three, or however many works on that. This particular story we're going to work on comes out of Matthew, Mark, and John, okay? So I'm going to do something I've not done before. I want to introduce to you this book by John MacArthur called One Perfect Life. What John has done, it's brilliant. It's a great work. It's the complete story of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he has done is he has written the gospel story chronologically, putting all the gospel details together in one running story. So you don't have to jump from gospel to gospel to get the story. You get all the story because he takes the bits and pieces of all the gospels and puts it in and makes it work in a storyline. Great, great book for your devotions. If you want to go through the Gospels, um, just do this and you'll, you'll read all four Gospels as you read through this. Great book. So I'm going to use this for this story. So you're getting bits and pieces from Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. And if you want to and you want to just jump back and forth, you can. Otherwise, I'm going to have it all on the screen um, as we read through the story. Here's how it goes. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany the home of Lazarus, the man who had raised, he had raised from the dead. While Jesus in Bethany was visiting at the home of Simon the leper, a dinner was prepared in his honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those reclining and ate with him. While they were eating, Mary brought a beautiful alabaster jar containing 12 ounces of expensive perfume made of the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, and some of the disciples at the table were indignant. What a waste, they said, and they scolded her harshly. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, for he was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing for me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, what this woman has done will be remembered and disgust. All right, there's the story. The title is The Nobody Who Became World Famous. So let me just start with this. Who is Mary? What do you know about her? Harlot. What's that? Harlot. Um, I think you got her mixed up with a different Mary. There's another story like this, who was a harlot. I can work with you on that afterwards. Where she's the one who came and she bathed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped the tears with her hair. Similar story. What do you know about her family tree? Do you know anything? Is there like a genealogy that has Mary in it that you can read? How about, um, what kind of family culture did she come from? <laughs> we, what, what are her parents like? You could tell a lot about the kids if you, if you spend some time with the parents. What do you know? Nothing. 
Do we know her last name? Does she have a middle name? Do we know how old she is? How old do you think Mary is? Huh? About that old. <laughs> About that old. My brain speculates, but we have no idea how old she is. Weird. We don't know anything about her appearance. This is the somebody, the nobody, who is becoming world famous, and her story is going to be told wherever the good news is preached until Jesus returns. But we don't know a thing about her physical appearance. Is she short or tall? Is she skinny or plump? Is she beautiful or plain? We, we have no idea. Is that interesting to you? That we don't have any physical details of her? What? She was a woman. We know that. We know that she lived in Bethany with her sister Mary, Martha and her brother Lazarus and we know that they were really good friends with Jesus. We don't even know why they were really good friends with Jesus. In fact, this Mary is simply known as Mary of Bethany. Okay, so what do we know about Bethany? What epic tale, at least before Jesus showed up in Bethany, what epic tale would you tell about Bethany? Do you even know where Bethany is? I know you do. Bethany is just a little burg next to the Mount of Olives. We know a lot about the Mount of Olives. But we don't know much about Bethany. Do you want to know some about Bethany, though? Bethany was known as the House of Figs. Awesome. Awesome. They were only known for that because they had a lot of fig trees and a lot of palm trees. Here's what they're also known for. They were known as the House of Misery because it had become a sanctuary town for people with contagious, contagious diseases, which is why Simon was there, Simon the leper. He went to Bethany because it was a place where people could go. But in those days of Jesus, it literally became known for two major miracles, the likes of which no one had ever experienced before. It was the place where Simon the leper had been healed from his leprosy. This is actually, this, this meal is taking place in his home, I'm sure appreciation meal, to the Lord Jesus, it was in his honor for all that he had done for him, and it was the place where the dead man Lazarus was raised from the dead. In fact, it's still known for that today. Look at this picture. This is a picture. If you go to Bethany, they'll take you to this site. These are the remains of Simon the leper's house. That's actually part of the house where Jesus sat. It is so cool to go to Israel and be in those places. Here is the tomb of Lazarus. This is where he came, can you just hear the words? The people are crying and you hear Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth, and here comes your loved one coming out. Remember, at that point, the scripture says, he stinketh. <laughs> so he had been in there a while, and yet here's this amazing miracle. No one had ever been raised from the dead like that before. Bottom line is, Mary is a nobody from a nothing town. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential and not many were of noble birth. And we certainly see this reflected in the life of Mary as it relates to her in this story. But it's worse than that. Okay? Hang on, ladies, because we, these are things you don't understand. But Mary is a 
nobody from a nothing town, but she's also a woman in a man's world, which meant in this culture that she is seen as property at best and in the eyes of many people in their culture would be seen on a scale less than a dog. Let me ask you, did you notice who's sitting at the table? Who's reclining at the table at this dinner? Well, all the family, right? All the families together, the moms, the dads, the kids, they're all reclining at the table enjoying this great meal at Simon the Leper's house, right? Wrong. The only people reclining at the table were the men because that's what happened in the culture. Where were the women? Serving. The women were in the kitchen. The women were doing this stuff. They were serving the men. Where were the kids? No clue. No clue. Probably kids loved it when the, they had meals like that because the women were serving, the men were reclining, the kids were on their own doing whatever they wanted to do. I loved those kinds of days. But in the middle of all of that, and she totally understood her culture, Mary is compelled to do something that blew the place up. In front of the men, she came and engaged Jesus, and in doing so, she broke every social and religious protocol um, that anyone, that everybody knew about. And let's see what she did. While they were eating, Mary brought a beautiful alabaster jar containing 12 ounces of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. Now, this doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but in their culture, there was so much wrong happening here. And all you ladies are probably saying, what's the big deal? She just had some perfume. She wanted to dump on Jesus and honor him in that way. Well, for starters, she approached the men at the table and joined them in the reclining. This would have been shocking to their system. The entire room would have been like, what is Mary doing here? Lazarus would be like, Mary, get out of here. Get back in the kitchen with Martha. This is the men's table. But she wasn't having any of it. She was leaning in. Total disregard for the Jewish rules of propriety for women, but it gets worse. She not only came and approached the men and reclined with them at the table, but she breaks open a jar of perfume, she pours it all over Jesus, and, wait for it, lets down her hair. Ah! Horrible! What is she doing? Let's practice that, okay? Let's practice being the guys at the table, and so Mary comes, and she breaks her jar and perfume and pours it over Jesus, and she lets down her hair. What are you doing? Never would a woman let her hair down in the company of another man other than her husband, ever in their culture. Never would a woman ever touch another man other than her husband, but she especially would not touch a rabbi. She knew this. Do you think she knew it? She totally knew it. And she wouldn't stop. She's, quote, unquote, wasting perfectly good perfume on Jesus. 
This, this blows me away, okay? Look at this, part, this verse. Some of the disciples at the table were indignant. What a waste, they said, and they scolded her harshly. Can you, are you hearing that? I mean, did they really use that word in Jesus' presence? Who says that kind of stuff? You are wasting that on Jesus and scolding her for that. What is she, what is she doing here? Let me just tell you, let me just simplify it. She is not thinking with her head. Her head knows what she's supposed to or not supposed to do. She's acting from her heart. And she doesn't care, obviously. She's acting with love and admiration that has no human limits. It is an expression of worship without restraint. But brace yourself, Mary, if you're going to go all out for Jesus like that, you're going to wake the sleeping bears in the room. Judas Iscariot was one of them. The disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wages and it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Of course, sometimes... You need to see behind what people are saying to know what they're actually saying and why they're saying it. And we get insight into this where he said this not because he cared for the poor but because he was a thief and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Let me just say this real quick. It is a great wickedness to put yourself ahead of the work of the Lord, which is what Judas is doing here. He's acting like, ah, we could have sold that and given it to the poor when in reality he's like, we could have sold that, put more in the bag so that I could take more from myself. Don't ever find yourself in that spot. Don't ever find yourself in a place putting your interest, your self-interest before the work of the Lord. It will be a problem for you at multiple levels. Because Judas is wicked to the core some people have asked about Judas. They say, you know, I feel sorry for Judas, they say, because Satan entered into Judas in order to get him to betray Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. And Satan is not omnipresent, and so he left Judas. And when he did, it seems like Judas felt bad for what he did, and there was some kind of remorse for what he did and shame for what he did, and so he went out and hung himself. But I want you to... Words mean something. Jesus is the word of truth, and Jesus, when he uses a word, he means what he uses. But God is very careful in what words he uses. In the Bible, it means something when he says what he does. And when Jesus calls Judas the son of perdition, do you know what he means by that? Perdition is the state of eternal punishment and damnation for an unrepentant sinner when he dies. He also called him a devil in John chapter six because he was going to betray the son of man. Here's what I want you to hear. I just need, I have to say this, okay? Just because you feel bad for the sin that you commit does not mean that you are repentant for the sin that you have committed. And without repentance of your sin, there is no forgiveness. You have to repent of your sin. That is part of finding salvation in Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls him the son of perdition, 
which is a person, an unrepentant person, when they die, they will suffer the judgment and damnation of the Lord for their sin. So, is he, is, is Judas receiving the judgment and damnation of the Lord because he betrayed Jesus? No, it's because he's unrepentant. In fact, every single person, you need to hear me, every single person who does not know the Lord and is unrepentant when they die are sons and daughters of perdition. They will suffer the judgment and damnation of God for the rest of eternity for their sin. That's why it is so important that we call people to repentance. In fact, if you're sitting here today or you're online with us at home and your heart is being spoken to right now on this subject and you're starting to get a little nervous about what I'm talking about because maybe you haven't come to a point of repentance in your life and maybe you are gonna be a son or a daughter of perdition and you don't want to be. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, you don't think you have a problem. The message of the gospel and the message of the cross is foolishness to you. And so praise God that your heart is being opened and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and convicting you of your sin. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear the work of the Lord, if you hear the word of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, do not turn away and don't despise that, that message. Receive the Lord today. Repent of your sin, and then you will be saved. The Lord is opening your heart, and I want to invite you to salvation today if that's happening to you right now. You can be saved today. And then all this stuff that doesn't make, didn't make sense before will all start to make sense because you'll have the Holy Spirit helping you. Judas is rebuking this good, beautiful, God-honoring humility that's being displayed right before his very eyes. I just want you to brace yourself, brothers and sisters. If you decide to follow the path and follow the example of Mary of Bethany and you begin to pour yourself out before the Lord in honor of the Lord, and you begin to sacrifice yourself for him and serve him at a whole new level, if you find a whole nother gear to shift down into in your life with the Jesus Christ, write it down, you're going to wake up the sleeping bears in the room and they're gonna criticize you. In fact, the scripture says, indeed, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you pour yourself out for Jesus, those who belong to Satan will protest and often be hostile towards you for standing up for Jesus and for going all out for him. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. And that, that divide is going to get wider and it's going to get harder for us. But all the more, as we see the day approaching, pour yourself out. Be like Mary. Because when the wicked object... Jesus will stand for you. You don't have to be like all concerned about, well, what if they come after me and attack me? What does it matter? Jesus is on your side. And just like he was here with Mary, standing up for her, hey, knock it off, leave her alone. 
Why are you criticizing her for doing this wonderful thing for me? That same Lord Jesus will stand for you. That same Lord Jesus will, will fight for you. That same Lord Jesus will help you endure through any persecution, any hardship, any heartache that comes your way because you poured yourself out for him. God will honor you when you honor him and he will bless you for being a blessing to him if you'll just pour yourself out. This is the most extravagant expression and outpouring of adoration from a person ever recorded in the scriptures. And it blessed the Lord so much that he said, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, what this woman has done will be remembered and discussed. And here we are today, remembering and discussing and learning. Right? Right? This is written for us. So can I ask you a couple questions? If somebody asks you a question, you're supposed to answer. It's not polite to not answer. Can I ask you a couple questions? Yes. Okay. When was the last time you extravagantly poured yourself out for the Lord and blessed the Lord in the same way that this expression of love and this risk that she took blessed the Lord Jesus? When was the last time you extravagantly poured yourself out for anybody? Well, seemed like I had a little bit of an attitude in that kind of question, Phil. Well, not really, because I'm asking myself the question. When was the last time that you were done being full of yourself and you emptied yourself to fill somebody else up? We don't have Jesus sitting here anymore. Wouldn't that be cool? I know I got a big imagination, but wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus just walked down the aisle here and sat down and we could break open our perfume bottles and pour it out on him and just thank him and weep and just because we're so full of gratitude for the sacrifice and for the salvation that we have and you women could let down your hair and wipe his feet. But he's not here with us in that sense. He's not here like Mary had him. So you might ask, well, how do I pour myself out? How do I do what Mary, how do we follow Mary's example? That's a good question, right? Here's how. You pour yourself out into the lives of everyone around you. That's how. You pour yourself out on a regular basis, on a daily basis. You empty yourself into the lives of the church of Jesus Christ. You empty yourself into the lives of your neighbors. You empty yourself into the lives of your friends. You empty yourself into the lives of your coworkers. You empty yourself into the lives of the legislature. You empty yourself into the lives of wherever you can. And Jesus said, when you do this to the least of these, my brothers, 
and my sisters, you do it unto me. We're being called to be like Mary and to be extravagant with our love and to pour ourselves out and to hold nothing back. Mary's just an average village girl, but she goes all out for Jesus. She's nothing. She's a nothing who becomes world famous because she poured herself out for Jesus. At the expense of her ointment, at the expense of her reputation, she didn't care. She demonstrates immense humility sitting at the feet of her Savior, showing her deep affection and her gratitude for her Savior. My friends, who who can look at this world and not see the need for examples of people like Mary who will pour out all that they have into the lives of everyone around them, into the lives of this world, and doing so onto Jesus and impacting his kingdom and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This story is calling us, you and me, to a total cost aside, pouring ourselves out in humility, all I am, all I have, all I hope to be humility. This is a spare, no expense, hold nothing back, take it all, pour it all until there's nothing left kind of devotion to Jesus. Mary is setting the example for all of us, and Jesus is calling every one of us to that kind of devotion. Are you up for it? Yes, sir. Thank you, Larry. Anybody else up for it? (laughs) Reality is you really aren't, okay? On your own, you're not. But when you've got the Holy Spirit, you're the most powerful people on the planet. When you have the Holy Spirit and you're submitting to the Holy Spirit and you're pouring yourself out in the power of the Holy Spirit, then what you're doing is you're taking the something that is inside of you, inside of your nothing, you're taking the something and you're taking it to people who have nothing and you're giving it and pressing it into them as you serve them so that they can have everything if they'll just receive. The scripture says, how can they know? It's all foolishness to them. And how can they know unless they hear? If they don't hear... They can't know. Satan is keeping their ears stopped and their eyes blind and their hearts closed to the gospel. But if we will take it in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will take that gospel. They can hear the gospel and they can receive the gospel and they can be released into receiving the gospel, the truth of the gospel, so that they can have what we have. That's what we're being called to. That's what Mary's Example is before us that we take the gospel to the world. We pour ourselves out. We hold nothing back and give it all in whatever sphere of influence God has called us to. Give of yourself daily. Become a daily sacrifice for the Lord. Stand in the gap for the Lord. Every day, every one of us taking up our cross denying ourselves and following the Lord and being obedient into all that he wants us to be. 
We're an army of nothings empowered by the great God Almighty and he's got plans to do extraordinary things in you and through you that you haven't even dreamed up yet. All he needs is an empty vessel. He delights in taking nothings. Actually, let's go deeper. He delights in taking things that are despised by the world, things that are nothing in the world, and empowering us with something so that we can produce extraordinary things. That's the example of Mary. Will you take the Mary of Bethany challenge, I guess I could say, and let's go out and let's just pour ourselves out. In every way possible, pour yourself out. That's the call. So we're going to have an invitation. Matt's going to come, and we're going to sing just as I am. And we're just going to wait till everybody comes down front and repents. Because the reality is we all need to work on this, right? In fact, if you have completed it, if you have gotten to the end and you, you are doing this perfectly, you come tell me about the secret of how to get there because I struggle every day with it. But that's what God wants and that's what God blesses and he will bless you for giving it what Mary has given it because of your love, because of what you treasure and what you hold dear in your heart. Pastor Doug, right? Scott. I thought you said your name was Doug. <laughs> <laughs> I just met Pastor, say it again. Scott. Scott and Tracy, right? We, uh, you're visiting here, you're at a conference or something like that. We're really glad that you guys are here, but we share something very special. And that is that we have both been able to serve with the best music pastor the world has ever seen. Amen. In, uh, in Matt Cox. So um, are you still down in Borger? Fort Worth. Fort Worth, Texas. All the way up here into the land of Goshen. The God's, <laughs> God's land up here. We're really glad you're here. And um, I just met you just now. But there's an anointing on your life and a calling on your life to shepherd the flock of God. And I know you're on a trip. And this isn't your flock, but would you pray over us? Would you just pray that God will empower us and strengthen us to do what he's called us to do and end our service in that way? You guys okay with that? Yeah. Can you just come on up here, Scott? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Can we do that? Father, your son walked this earth and at the well, he met the woman of the Samaria and he told her that we worship you in spirit and truth today and we have heard of your spirit and we have heard of the truth as Pastor Phil has spoken. Thank you, Father, for that. Give us the gift of repentance here today, Lord. Um, make us humble. Spread the extravagant worship of Mary throughout all of our hearts all over this land. We pray that we'd be humbled by your word and we pray that you'd bless these people here today. As they exit this place, may they go out with the word of Jesus Christ on their lips 
and be reminded that in and of ourselves we have little power, no power, nor horsepower, but the Spirit of God is our horsepower. And may we be obedient to the voice of your Spirit. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, church, stand up. And let's practice extravagant love right now. Just go ahead and pour out love on each other as you go out. And let's go in the strength and power of the Lord and make a difference out in our community. Love you.